We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DGD Podcast. As always, Robert Reynolds, Juan Daniels, Kobe Pierce. we got a lot to talk about today. Um, first off, let's do this. There's so much to talk about. Let's get started on this. First off, the show brought to you by Apotheos Roastery. Had myself a nice cup of joe this morning. Uh, always delicious. Uh, listen, check out Apotheos. Go follow them on Instagram at uh, Apotheos Roastery. Uh, Twitter at Apotheos Coffee. Give them a follow. Go to our website, dgdpodcast.com forward slash Apotheos, and go shop the selection that they have to offer. And remember, if you do that, every bag purchased, whatever, regardless of the blend, will be treated as the Classic City Collective blend, which in turn, 20% of each bag sold will go towards the Classic City Collective. So keep that in mind. Check it out. Juan, we're, we're jumping around the SEC today. Going to switch things up. Uh, let you start off, man. What school, situation-wise, what is the, what is a hot topic that you want to talk about from around the SEC? Let's start that off. I, I, I'll say, I'll say Bama. You know, Bama, Bama is in search for, or for a coordinator. Bama is in some C standpoint because – they don't want to be knocked off. They don't, don't want to be looked at as as they were, you know, in, in times past. And, uh, you know, so it, it, you know, people saying we want Bama, we want Bama. They don't necessarily care as much in it as, you know, now it's going to be Georgia. You know what I'm saying? Like we want Georgia. But, yeah, they're, they're in search. They're also right now, like they're just kind of in search for an identity because if you think about the Bama of all, you know, hard nose defense, their running game, and then it, it kind of trans, you know, laid it in, you know, big, big time passing, great, great quarterback, uh, great receivers to now going to be as, as far as your quarterback is concerned. Your receivers are kind of young, still um, inexperienced. Yibs, you know, it, it's going to be tough sledding over there for Bama. 
You know, I think the key thing for me, though, right, when we talk about Alabama right now is they're replacing offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. Now, at the same time, Bama's used to replacing coaches. I think we're on board with that. But this year is going to be interesting, too, because look at what is left. You have, you know, you have Jalen Milrow, you have Ty Simpson. Now, Bama is not necessarily short for talent, but I do think that whichever coordinators they decide to go with could make a huge impact on the on the Crimson Tide in the 23 season. Kobe, do you got anything to say about this situation, my man? Yeah, I think a big thing um, is you're right. They're used to replacing coaches and coordinators, but part of that sometimes has been they're used to replacing one, not the other. But I don't think, and and I don't know, the last time they've had to replace both in the same year. And I feel like a big thing this year especially is they've really been in a good place since 2016 with the quarterback position. I mean, basically, you know, they come in, they have Jalen Hurts play quarterback in 2016-2017. Tua basically steps straight in 2018-2019. They already know from Tua getting hurt in 2019 that Mac Jones is a really good quarterback and it's going to be his team in 2020. They know – from 2020 that Bryce Young's going to be really good because he plays in a couple games. And then he goes out and plays extremely well 2021-2022. But I think the big question mark is when he got hurt this year and we all got the sneak peek in the row, it's not been the same wow factor that they've had in the years past. It's not been a backup quarterback comes in and you're like, wow, next in line at quarterback looks phenomenal. So it'll be interesting to see what a new coordinator does with that quarterback situation. And then I think a big thing that we overlook, and I know I did because I did a dive into it, um, they have holes. Like, they recruit really well, but they still have, like, small little holes in recruiting. They didn't take a single inside linebacker this cycle from high school. They took the number one inside linebacker from JUCO, and they took Tresman, and that's it. That's the only two inside linebackers they took this cycle. Yeah, I find that interesting. I do find that interesting. A lot of, like, old – that's two guys that are only going to be able to play two years maximum for you. So – I mean, like looks like he's about to say something. Go ahead. I I, I agree with him. I mean, it's crazy because they consistently have – however, there's always – there's always holes. There's always – and and for – Bama to have year after year after year and for their defense to have a huge meltdown like they did. And also, um, you know, the, these, the quarterback getting sacked as much as they did. Tough to see. And then also too, in those coordinator searches, you know, Saban has guys that have head coach potential because all of his coordinators are pretty much head, you know, defensive, offensive coordinator, you know, and, and, and training to be head coach guys, you know, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Bama can't figure it out and be just fine. Cause I think they're, as long as Nick Saban's here, you have to account for them being a contender in the West. There's no question about that, but I do think there is an interesting situation. There's like a, I guess it's like a, a crossroads, if you will, because if they don't get these coordinator hires right right now, you know, 
who knows what can happen, right? I felt like there would be probably some uncertainty and some people starting to get a little bit agitated in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, we talk about quarterbacks. Let's transition over to Ole Miss. Ole Miss just picked up two quarterbacks in the transfer portal from Walker Howard and Trey, San- uh, Trey Sanders, I think it was, a uh, kid from uh, Oklahoma State, on top of Jackson Dart. When I see that, it's it's baffling to me because now you've got three quarterbacks all from the portal, right? All from the portal. But so to me, I feel like it screams quarterback competition. But how do you how do you go about that? Like, what's I don't I don't like that look per se, right? Like, what does that mean from a recruiting standpoint? Like, it's just confusing to me. What are y'all's thoughts on that quarterback situation at Ole Miss? I think it would have been fine to have brought in. Um, the guy from LSU. I think that I think where I have the more of the issue with it would be um, bringing in the the transfer from Oklahoma State because he is older. He probably only has you know limited time left. But the guy from LSU, you come in, you know, Jackson Dart's about to be a junior. Um, so you tell him he comes in, he sits behind Jackson one more year, and then it's his program. But right now, you basically told Jackson Dart. I'm not happy with what you've put on the field last year. I'm not impressed. I think we can go and find someone even better. And, um, you know, it just is kind of a uh, that lack of confidence going into the spring from what you feel like is your coaching staff. And, yes, like competition increases your play. Jackson may still be their starter, but it's that doubt of like, you know, wow, not only did you bring in one five-star from the portal, you brought in two. And now everybody's looking around going, am I really the best quarterback on this team anymore? Dude, if I'm Jackson Jackson Dart, I'm punching air right now. I'm punching air right now. (laughs) Just, I mean, mean, when you you bring two in, though, that's the key. When you bring two, that screams that you're not not happy at all as a a coaching staff. So you're you're punching air because your days are numbered ultimately. Like, it makes me wonder if he if he leaves after the spring just because of that like I'm not saying he will but I mean I'd be, I'd be pissed off if he got two now one is a different situation but why two right I think that's a big question there Juan what were you saying yeah I mean it's it, it you know obviously those two quarterbacks were sold or bill of you to come here but I, I if, if if I were the Oklahoma State guy or if I were the other guy I, I, well like why are you bringing in you know two, two additional trans Transfers. I thought, you know, this was X and Dart, and, and, you know, we could just go, you know, just kind of go at it. But now you bring an additional guy in for that quarterback. You know, somebody's not going to be happy. Now you can't make everybody happy, though. I, I think especially, like, I think the Oklahoma State guy, to me, is still the biggest issue in this because, like, he's played at Oklahoma State. He started at Oklahoma State. He's won at Oklahoma State. And now he's looking to go play somewhere else. Where like you bring in Walker Howard, he has been a like he was a backup all last year. He hadn't played, you know. He doesn't have. He's not coming into Ole Miss going, you know. I'm used to playing. I'm used to starting. I'm used to winning. Where you know the guy from guy from Oklahoma State with only a year left, he's going to come in, start and play a lot. You know, he's not going to be happy. You know, being the third string quarterback all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't. I don't say that either. I, it, it's it's interesting, right? It, it's very interesting. Um, 
we'll I guess we'll see what happens as spring goes on and things like that, you know. But I'm just scratching my head at it. There, you have to you have to believe Lane Kiffin's got something in mind, but I, I just don't get it. Um, my be- um, my team, I would say right now that I'm very interested in to see would be South Carolina. I, I think they're my team right now. Just that I think I think if you'd asked them at week six or seven, they would have told you they probably are firing Shane Beamer at the end of the year and moving on. And then he wins against Tennessee and he wins against Clemson. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, my word. Like we have found the the hidden gem to get South Carolina back. And then they really take a pretty hard hit in the portal this year, losing a lot of talent. So it'll be very interesting to see. You know, I know they're getting the quarterback back, but uh, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how short of a leash um, Shane Beamer has this year going forward. I mean, he's elevated. He's elevated the program every year since he got there. Like they just I, picked up. I they just picked. Numbers. They just picked up Cam Pringle, number, like one of the best offensive tackles uh, in twenty four cycle. They picked up a four star tight end. Like v- recruiting, there's a lot of momentum there. Now, I, I do think when you now that we're talking about now that we're talking about South Carolina. You know they're they're replacing Satterfield, right? And I think that could be a, honestly a, a upgrade because Satterfield, if we watched that offense last year, scratched it last two games and the bowl game, that offense was just tw- had twenty nineteen damn Georgia vibes. It was awful. You know, it, like it just some of the play calling that they did was it just made no sense. Like third and long, and I mean like fifteen and stuff like that, and you're just throwing check down routes like. Like why you you have Spencer Rattler? He decides to make a comeback. Open him up. We with the, the whole country saw what Spencer Rattler can do in an offense that allows him to open it up. He took Tennessee to the woodshed, and he and he'd sit there and they beat Clemson for the first time in eight. Uh, that would have been their eighth, or so seven times prior. Now you sit there and just like going into the season, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail, on the field. They're replacing some guys, especially on the defense. So we'll see how that trans uh, translates over. But if you're a Gamecock fan, man, like you, they, they say Beamer ball to the moon ultimately, right? Like I think I feel like they're all on board with that. Like they have to be right. Yeah. I, I'm just saying they're, they're impressed, but I still think he, I think he's, it's just one of those programs for whatever reason that if you struggle, they're always going to be looking towards the next guy, which makes it a hard program to be at. That's why first I mean, off, Columbia's a hard place. First off, Columbia is a hard place to recruit anyway and win. Like I've, I've been to Columbia. It's it, to me, it's just not a fun place. So it's from no, a disadvantage it, from the uh, standpoint. I mean, like I understand, like Willie B's an interesting place, right, from an environment standpoint on game day, right, especially if you're into the sandstorm and everything like that. I get it. But with South Carolina, even with even going back to Steve Spurrier when he was there, it was still difficult to win consistently. You know what I mean? Shane Beamer in two years has elevated that program getting there, right? He's getting there. You sit there and it's not like discrediting anything. That's that's an accomplishment. Like in all seriousness, that's that's something to hold your head on. You you just beat your rival, right? You beat Clemson. That, that's a big deal. That is a huge deal. And you look at Clemson, right? Going into twenty three, there's a good chance they can do it again. They can do it again because they come to Willie B this year, if I'm not mistaken. 
I, th- I might be wrong, but I think they're coming to Willie B this year, and they're getting K Klubnik situated, whatnot. And, and it could be it could be another win over Clemson. I'm not saying that's their end all be all, but that, that's still you start winning over your rivals and start to make it a trend and gain some consistency there. Get up in the you know get up into the upper tier in the SEC East, right? That, that right there, that's going to like sustain some you know some pure optimism and rightfully so for Gamecock fans, period. Um, let's see. So I'm going to read some comments here, guys. Um, apparently Joel says Juan's got that Ute Wi-Fi uh, to which I said, so you're saying it's trash. She can neither confirm nor deny, apparently. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, I'm just going to leave that there. We know Utah and trash have something in common. It's because it's the same thing. Um, yeah, Pat, I think so Pat has a good point. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, let's see how can I explain this. Uh, moving on to this, I think this is interesting too. Pat in the chat says, At what point does Gator Garbage actually become a legitimate threat again? Which leads me to looking at the Florida Gators. Um, they picked up Keontae Goodwin, transfer out of Kentucky, so that's a plus, but then you look at the situation. Outside of that, you, you lose out on a court, uh, star quarterback, Rashada, the whole NIL fiasco. Um, your your team just doesn't look good. Absolutely embarrassed in the bowl game. You have Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, which, let's be honest here, was a historically bad Wisconsin team, and that was your signal caller. You miss out on Grayson, uh, Grayson McCall, uh, Got uh, Hartman, all these guys that hit the portal, and there's nothing there for you but Graham Mertz. And now you look at Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. Um, I- I'm going to let y'all deal with this. Uh, it ain't looking pretty in Gainesville right now. And as a Georgia fan, I love it. Absolutely yeah, I, love it. I, I feel like this year, like, you know, and, and even last year, like, he's slowly trying to build it in – what I would consider like a brick by brick mentality of like, I'm pretty sure didn't they land the lineman from Alabama that was um, in the portal. Yep. Yeah. The, in the guard or whoever who'd started two years at Alabama, I'm pretty sure they landed him too. Um, But you're right. The best teams in the sec, the best teams, honestly in the country, but especially the sec, good teams have to have good quarterback play. They, you don't necessarily have to have a good quarterback but you have to have a quarterback who plays good. And I just don't think they have that on their team. And to beat great people, you have to have a great quarterback. It's always, it's always mm-hmm. worked that way. You look at some of the best teams ever and, you know, Joe Burrow, I mean, and that team's loaded with talent. I get that. But even all the Alabama teams have been really good since 2016 have had a good quarterback. You know, you look at teams that upset people like South Carolina this year, two big upsets. Their quarterback's not great. I don't think anybody calls Spencer Rattler great. But those two games he was, he was good all year. And in those two games, he had flashes of greatness. I just don't see with Graham Mertz, unless he, you know, just reinvents the wheel down there from his time in Wisconsin, you're just always going to struggle if the dogs roll into town. And not just us, but we're a good example. If we roll in town and we don't have to fear your passing game and we just have to be worried about you running the ball, it's a long day. I mean, I don't care who you are. 
You I mean, I like, I like I, I know it sounds crazy, but I kind of like Trevor Etienne as a running back. Kid can run the ball. But when you looked at we did like well, you you respected Anthony Richardson as a runner. You did not respect him as a passer. You just didn't. Ultimately, I think at the same time, you you know, you you're left to wonder, right? Whoever the quarterback, the starting quarterback will be for the Gators, right? If I'm Georgia, I'm not fearing either one of them, right? And to me, I look at this outside of just the outside of just the situation with the quarterback room. You have to be careful with this because, in my opinion, they let go of Dan Mullen that, you know, didn't understand that recruiting was a season. He thought it was a season, not year round. Um, yet you bring on a staff that's the largest uh, largest coaching staff in America does Billy Napier. And you're recruiting at the same exact level as Dan Mullen, who didn't focus on recruiting. I think he's in over his head. It, it's, you know, if you've ever been down to Florida and the tradition, play, it's a great place to play. Ben Griffin Stadium is loud. It's crazy. It's awesome. It's a great place to be. So it just lets you know how bad they're recruiting to get top tier guys, especially out of your own state. It's just to me, it's just wild because Florida historically has been a program that recruits itself. Now, to what level, obviously, you know, hit or miss. However, Florida is one of those schools where you're expected to come in and recruit at a top 10 level. You know what I mean? Um, so ultimately, I, I, listen, shit's just bleak in Florida. Uh, listen, we're going to take a quick break, folks. We're going to come back and we're going to continue this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. So stick, uh, stick around. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. And we're back. So we're going to leave it up to the chat here, Kobe. Um, what school do we talk about next? Um, so if you're in the comments, first off, make sure you hit that thumbs up. It's free. Uh, helps the show out in many ways. Uh, subscribe as well. Thanks to all the new subscribers. Um, let us know in the comments what school you want to hear next. Um, in the meantime, let's, let's talk about our dogs, Kobe. Let's talk about our dogs. 
as it stands, I think it's been a, a wild week, week and a half now. Um, you know, a lot of negativity, right? If you, you look at the Rob Ross situation. You look at um, obviously the the uh, the loss of uh, Devin and Chandler, right? But ultimately, I, I I want to shine some light on the positives, if you will. You're coming off of back to back national titles. You're also bringing back some key players, some key players, right? Cedric Van Pran, I think, is the most important return that we've had this year, period. No no questions asked. However, it's quietly went under the radar that you returned basically everybody on your defensive line as well. And I know we've talked a little bit about this. And you're recruiting at an elite level. And February 1st, folks, is coming, which is the signing day, the traditional signing day. Uh, and you could close out the 23 cycle with a solid, like a, a pure solid number two overall class with the addition potentially of Deuce Robinson and possibly even Walker Lyons. And that's, that's two more tight ends to add on top of Pierce and Lawson Lucky. Just, just saying. Overall, if you're the Georgia Bulldogs, that first off, the state of the Georgia program right now is about as high as it's ever been. And I and honestly, I still think there's some room for improvement. Um, but what are your thoughts on the state of, of Georgia football as it stands right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, like you're saying, you, you've, you've gotten that monkey off your back, which was just so big to do last year, two years ago, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, you, you've – uh, is something that I was talking with a friend of mine this week about even is like people and fans on Twitter, obviously will try to discredit national championships by who you played and how you won them. You know, like the big thing is, Oh, well you didn't have to play Bama this year. So like, if you didn't have to play Bama, did you really, are you really the best team in the country? Well, I feel like if this would have been our first one, not that I would agree with you, but it definitely would be a bigger question in my head. Like, okay, wow, we made it the Natty, we won it, but we didn't have to go through the king of college football at some point. But because you won it last year and you beat him, and then this year you beat both schools that beat him, it's just one of those things that, like, nobody. there's no unwritten rule that says, oh, you have to beat, you know, Alabama to be a legitimate national champion um so i i think right now also with recruiting it's just going to kind of keep rolling in i think the staff you have right now is young i think they they all enjoy the amount of recruiting they do you know i mean i don't think you're asking your oc to to be all over the country all the time i think you ask him to go see 15 recruits a cycle, maybe. Well, I mean, well, he, they just got they just got back from the West Coast trip. Him, uh, Kirby, uh, Coach Munkin, and Todd Hartley, I think it was, yeah. uh, visiting Riola, Deuce Robinson, Walker Lyons. It was, but the one thing is too that, and this is where it gets interesting, folks. And I see Soul Dog talking about Tennessee. And we're going to get there. And I promise you, we're just a second. When it comes to recruiting, first off, you always trust Kirby. Kirby has the tenacity of nobody that's unmatched in my opinion for recruiting um and ultimately i think you land all three of those guys uh that's just my thoughts on it but 
when you Lions is just still interesting to me because of him going on a two year mission. Like I still just think like I hate to be this way, but like a Utah, a BYU, those schools are more used to like juggling and adjusting for that than like yeah. we would be. Well, from what from what I've heard and, and my understanding of things, like these Mormon missions have kind of changed. Like we always assume that it's two years, but from the sounds of things, you might see him enroll in the twenty four cycle, right? So with that being said, you know, obviously that might count toward the 23 cycle, but you could view him as a 24 prospect entry, if you will, however you want to view it. But I still think ultimately he'd be a damn good pickup, right? I I just don't see him not being a pickup. Um, But to get the soul dog, Georgia and Tennessee about to to face off in Neyland this year, ultimately in my my thoughts, I think for the winner of the SEC East. However, we look at Tennessee, right, the state of Tennessee. First off, their head coach just gets an extension through 28. Now he's making $9 million a year. Yeah, it might have even been 29 too. I thought I saw 28. I might be wrong. Um, it's a long, it's a long, big money extension. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, he's he's making $9 million a year now. And I think it was – I thought, like, maybe it was like a $4 million raise on, on average. Nuts. Um, but not to, when you look at Tennessee, though, when you look at Tennessee, um, I, listen, I, I think they understand what they've got is potentially, you know, a recipe for success. If they handled business against South Carolina and they didn't lose the way they did, there's a good chance that you might see them in the playoffs this past season. Right. I, I think ultimately that could have happened. Now, they didn't take care of business. Their defense is still getting there. Right. But I'm, my question mark is this. These first two years under Hypel, if you really think about it, kind of Jerry Jeremy Pruitt's guys, aren't they? Now he's getting his own recruiting cycle in. And not saying that they're not a bad recruiting cycle. They're not. They're, they've actually done a really good job and progressed on the recruiting trail. But the, the question mark for me is now that you don't have Hendon Hooker, you have, I'm assuming, you know, you're going to have a competition for Joe Milton and Nico Yamaliaba, right? With that being said, your, your new quarterback, we saw Joe Milton, and, and, and I think there's some flashes there, but I think there are some question marks. We'll see what happens if he becomes the full-time starter. You, you see what they're doing through the portal. They picked up what uh, Thornton from Oregon, things like that. But the question for me hasn't been the offense. It's been the defense uh, for the most part, right? Now they're starting to get some depth on the defense, getting some good players on the defense. What does that mean for Tennessee? Does that mean they take that next step and, like, seriously contend for the SEC East with Georgia? Because when we played them this past year, although it was in Sanford, there was really no question we dominated that game. How close do you think – or how much gap do you think they're making up? Like, I feel like they're making up a lot of gap, but is it sustainable? I mean, I think the big thing is and, – and, and different fans are different, you know. We like to give Tennessee, Florida, everybody a real hard time. Um, but it's good to see. Like, I'm glad that the East isn't the joke of the SEC anymore. I'm glad that you're talking about, you know, an SEC East team besides Georgia beat Bama this year. You know, it, it just it starts to really prove that if you're top dog in the East, like you're your top dog possibly in the whole country. 
Um, and I'm happy for Tennessee. You know, they, they've been through some dark days up there. You know, we give, we give ourselves a tough time of, you know, our marker days were bad. It's like, they, they weren't near as bad as the coaching carousel they've been through with, you know, between Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Champions of Life, you know, Jeremy Pruitt kind of stepping in and then having a big scandal with paying players before it's legal. Like that just leaves a bad, a bad stain on your program. And now they're all in. Fun fact, our basketball coach, Mike White, I didn't even realize this, but his brother's their AD, Danny White. Um, mm-hmm. They paid him an extension four years like 2.2 a year. So he's there for the long term. You know, now they've got their um their head football coach is going to be there, you know, 9 mil a year long term. And then they're they're having success in other places. You know, they're one of the only SEC schools right now. They've ranked in the top 10 in all the three major sports, you know, men's yeah. basketball, baseball, and football. They've won the SEC in baseball last year, you know, I mean, he has a program heading in the right direction uh, as a full athletic department. But as far as making up ground, I just think that eventually Hypel is going to have to find a middle ground. He's not going to be able to run the full force, you know, like tempo spread, a minute and 20 second drive offense the way he has and sustain for 12, 13, 14 games. It, you're just going to – I don't care how much depth you have on your defense on the backside. Sooner or later what happens is, like against South Carolina, your offense shows up. They The defense for the other team has an answer. You have a couple turnovers. You throw a couple picks. You have a couple quick three and outs. And all of a sudden your defense has been on the field for – 40 out of the 60 minutes and you're looking around going, why are we giving up 63 points? And it's like, well, no defense that you put out that long can sustain. That's why Ole Miss has trouble. You know, Ole Miss is like this. And it's because when their offense is clicking, they're playing with anybody, but when it's not, their defense can't keep up. And so I, I think that the big thing will be, can Hypel adjust? Kirby had to speed up his offense to adjust to playing in the SEC. And I think Hypel eventually is going to have to slow down his offense to adjust. Yeah, I'm with, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I do think Tennessee is going to be a big problem um, in the foreseeable future, though. I, and like you said, that's a good problem to have if, if you're Georgia because you want these rivalries. Right? You want these to mean more. Like, I understand wanting every other team in the SEC East to be complete dog shit. However, as a fan, I kind of want to see a good game from time to time. And if Tennessee, if that means Tennessee's good and it's going to force us to play a good game, right. And watch a good game. I'll I'll live with that. I mean, I I even look at this year, you talk about they were number one in the country. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they're the best thing ever. I mean, it was not a competitive game. The score, the score looks close, but we dominated that game yeah. oh, no from, doubt. from kick to quad zeros. It was not, I never once was like, man, we are in trouble. I was like, man, we are whooping that ass. I mean, and it was nice to see, right? It was definitely nice to see. Um, I saw, I saw something here on Twitter uh, on three, right on three. I think this is interesting here. Well, we'll I'm just say this and then we'll move on to a different school. Cause I have one in mind. Uh, Mel Kuyper jr. 
right? Uh, NFL draft analyst believes that Stetson Bennett will be drafted in the third round. I, I, this is, this is me personally. Juan is punching air right now. I don't, I, I'm not going to go all in on third round, but like we've all seen before, there are some horrific backup quarterbacks in the NFL, like really bad. I just don't think you can tell me that Stetson can't find a home and not saying that he's going to be this great, you know, NFL MVP, you know, passing yard leader. I'm not even saying he's going to start more than, you know, 10 games in his career. But I just don't believe that you, he can't find a home on a roster somewhere. Thank you, Brock Purdy. Squad for a while. He can thank uh, Brock Purdy. Oh, look at Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm's been on practice squad for three years. I love yeah. Jake to death. Played with him. Great guy. Great quarterback. Good recruit, played in some good games, doesn't have, you know, the doesn't really have the height or quickness. You know, uh, he's very – the, the arm strength too. I, like, especially when he got drafted to Buffalo. I, I, like, I was I was questioning why Buffalo because you, you have to have the elite arm strength to play there, especially late in the season. But ultimately you look at his IQ of the game, and I think that was the reason for picking him, right? Like – Kid had, you know, Jake had a big, you know, grasp of the game, I think. And I'll tell you this right now, and, you know, Juan, whoever, I've thought this since I was young because I'm, you know, younger than everybody and got to see Tim Tebow for a few years, but not a lot of my life. If I was a Jacksonville Jaguars, Tim Tebow would still be an active member on my team. He would be the Taysom Hill of my team. I would have him, maybe not even tied in. I'd have him play in all four special teams and fullback or, you know, wildcat quarterback inside the 10-yard line. But I would have him in a number 15 jersey, and I would sell 15 jerseys in his hometown, in the state he won a Heisman in, in a state he won a national championship in. I'd be – there'd be so many 15 jerseys of the Jacksonville Jaguars walking around, you'd think they were the best thing ever. I'm just – you can't tell me – that if you're sitting there with like a fifth, sixth round pick and you're the Atlanta Falcons, you don't see the thing that you draft him. I don't care if he's on practice squad. I don't care if he's your third string. I don't care what he is. I don't care if he's just your holder. You slap 13 on him, people are going to be walking around in Stetson Bennett jerseys for years, years in Atlanta yep. Stetson Bennett jerseys. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, so – as we move on from the NFL draft discussion and things like that, because that that that's that's a that's a whole another show for within itself. I'm ready uh, for that show too. Uh, Mel Kuyper's first mock draft came out today. My Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah is another one. Like my Bears are picking at one. Oh, that's that's right. You're a Bears fan, so you're. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more about that. Um, but no, I want to talk about Texas a and this is going to be fun for me. This is going to be fun for me. So I'm just letting you know that. So bear with me. So Jimbo Fisher, we you know, Texas 8-4 and four goes, doesn't even make a bowl game. Completely dismantles, you know, and just like just disintegrates throughout the season. They finally make a change from their offensive quarter position. And none other 
then Bobby Petrino comes into Texas A&M as the offensive coordinator. This is either going to go extremely well or it's going to go extremely bad. But I'm here to watch that because it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And I hope it's for the worse because there ain't no team in the SEC that I could wish and laugh upon more than AM and Jimbo Fisher so long as he is there. The dude, like I just despise Texas AM. Just Jimbo more so than anything. What are your thoughts on Petrino as the OC for Texas AM? Do, does it work? You know, I, I just think about how living down here in the Bible Belt, we're a bunch of forgiving people when it comes to football and your actions regarding what you may or may not have done in football. Because the fact that Petrino is back in the SEC, the fact that Hugh Freeze is back in the SEC, <laughs> I mean, oh. there, there are some things that we're willing to overlook to win some football games. Severely so overlook. Whether, whether you know, I'll, I'll, I'll commend, you know, Tennessee fans for the uproar that they had when they were going to hire um, what's his name from Ohio State? Um, that they were gonna hire, and he had he had something, and they like basically were like, "Yeah, we're not gonna support you if you hire him because he was beating his wife or whatever." Was it tre- no? It wasn't Trestle. No. But anyways, I don't know. I don't know. I'm back. I'm back to Texas A&M, but um, I I think that I mean I think it'll go okay. I hate to say that. It can't go much worse. I don't think that he can make the offense. You're, you're not wrong worse. there. You're not wrong there. I, I think that now is he who I want leading my young men. I can't really speak on that. I, I hate to judge. I can. I, can. I, I, hate, to judge, I hate to judge a man on, on one action of his life, but I, I would just say that it, it's one of those things that out of all – you're telling me out of the whole country – he was your number one choice at offensive coordinator, or he was the guy willing to go down with the ship with you, Jimbo. Like, was he really your number one choice, or was he the only one that went, Jimbo, you know what? They're talking about firing you, man. If they fire us after a year, so be it, but we're going to have a big time. Because it's tough. Because if you're the OC somewhere up and coming and Texas A&M calls, and you look and go, hmm, Jimbo, you know, you're losing a nice Smith. You really like you're gonna have a decent quarterback. You have a good, fr- a decent freshman class from a year ago. But how many of those guys am I gonna be able to keep? How long are you gonna be here before you get canned? If I come in, we go six and six. You know, are we all gonna be sitting at the house next year? And I just left a good job to be sitting at the house. Um, you know, I would look at it this way: if, if I'm Petrino and I take that job, I know your buyout, Jumbo. I, I want some of that because I'll go down with you if that's the I'm, case. I'm sure, Petrino, I'm sure Petrino has a nice little deal going, but I'm, I'm also sure. he doesn't have a lot of leverage. That's the other. That's well, the only hard thing. So Jim Booker just laughed at him and been like, Petrino, you ain't got to take this job. I care less. You know, I'm going to be having my 75 mil. You're going to, you know, you're either going to coach for me and I'll pay you what I pay you, or you can stay at Missouri Valley State University and, you know, 
Ultimately, look at it this way, right? We go from one per like one team that we just despise to another one, and let's transition. We mentioned the name Hugh Freeze in Auburn. <clears throat> uh, Duke can coach some football, but what do you make of that hire? But can he? Can he coach some football? The million dollar question. I mean, I hate to say that, but like, what did he do at Ole Miss? What did he do at Liberty? He did all that with at Liberty. He had the best quarterback at that level of football the whole time in Malik Willis. Malik Willis was ridiculous. What did I I say earlier about Florida? To have great teams, you got to have great quarterbacks. He had the best quarterback at the level of play that they were playing. He had the best quarterback. It's not hard to look good and smart and win games when you got a guy that can make NFL level throws. Yeah, that's my thing. So, at Ole Miss in 2015 or 2016, I think it was his last year maybe, um, you know, it beat the piss out of us at Ole Miss. They were the best 6-6 six and six team I've ever seen play football. I mean, they should have beat Bama that year. They should have – they beat the crap out of us. They had, wasn't that when they had Kim Dietschy and all that too? Mm, I don't remember. Or was, that, or was that still there? Or he was point. getting recruited there, wasn't he? No, 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 no. He would have already been there. I think Kandichi came in twelve. Oh, uh, that's what I remember. Right. I, I was, I was. There was some like Laquan had, or something hey, like that. I think they had DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and Chad Kelly at quarterback, and they went six and six. Jesus. Like, I just don't know if you're ever going to have that level of talent consistently, and then tell me like, yeah, and we're just not really that good. It's a match. It's a match made in heaven, though, because you have obviously an individual, uh, an individual of his stature, paired with the worst boosters in the country. It could, it could go up in flames. And again, I wouldn't piss on it to put it out. Well, the hard thing, the hard thing is, is honestly in the West, like we talked about, Florida recruits itself. Auburn literally recruits itself. Like if you if you told me besides maybe LSU, I would say LSU probably recruits itself even better. But Auburn is in the ideal spot. They are really close to South Georgia. They're moderately close to Atlanta. They are right pretty much in the middle of the state of Alabama. They're not that far from North Florida. Yeah, they are so close to so many different prime areas of good recruits. And it's a great thing, too, because being close to those areas, they're able to find guys in areas and get to them first, which has always been an issue for South Georgia and Georgia's recruiting before Kirby Smart. Is like you have all these guys that are really talented down there that Auburn saw first. I mean, it's Columbus is Columbus and like Columbus, Valdosta. Like, I mean, Michael Williams easily. 10 years ago is an Auburn Tiger just because of his, just of where he lived and where they were 10 years ago. He's an Auburn Tiger, no doubt. That's well, interesting. We got that too, though. I mean, the, the, we've always, you know, we've always looked at Auburn, right? Like, like you said, 10 years ago, it's a different situation, but now you're pairing or now you're putting Auburn in between juggernauts, right? Like, and that makes it extremely difficult now at well, the same, like, well, they're like Tennessee. If you're a recruit going to Tennessee or you're a recruit going to Auburn, you basically know that you got two two teams on the schedule every year that could almost be an automatic L. 
you got to play Georgia and you got to play Alabama every year. Ain't There's no off year. Oh, I mean, now for now, because I'm curious to see how the scheduling works when, when Texas and Oklahoma jump in. Ultimately, I think you're going to see Auburn play both still. You you can't you can't Auburn ain't getting Auburn ain't getting a break from that. Well, I mean, just to, just from the rivalry standpoint, there should be no reason why you take off the Iron Bowl or and or Deep South South Traver. You can't do that. Can't do that. But we know so, Auburn will cry their way into an easier schedule. If they can. They, 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 the funny thing was they tried to move us from November to October and then got pushed right behind LSU, and LSU was dominating too. So they got two ass weapons bat to bat. I just they they're in a tough spot because I could see like you're saying if it rearranges them looking around and going, are you kidding me? Like we've rearranged the schedule again and we're still having to play two of the top probably best three schools every yeah. year again. Cause I, I can know. see, I mean, I hate to say it, but I could see the Tennessee Bama game, like them being like, you know what? We're okay. Like we're probably good not to play them every year. Yeah. Not I mean, saying they will not saying they will, but I don't think Tennessee wants to be in that boat anymore either. Of we gotta play Georgia every year, we gotta play Alabama every year. I wouldn't want to be in that boat. Hey, you're not wrong. I mean, ultimately, I think you look at it as a situation where <clears throat> the scheduling is going to be a key piece moving forward, especially when they uh, when Texas Oklahoma jump into the SEC. Which ultimately, I cannot wait. I think you have to get rid of the division system, like what you're seeing with the ACC and the Pac-12. That's got to go away. That just has to. Um, but that's also another – I guarantee you could you could do two shows or a whole season if you wanted to talking about that because there's just so much hypothetical situations that could come from it. Uh, is it weird to think, though, that, like, if we go back in 22, the progression that Vanderbilt, of all teams, has had, I, I didn't see – five wins at all, not even close to five wins for Vanderbilt. You know, I watched them, I watched them in week zero against uh, Hawaii and they absolutely just boat raced Hawaii. However, at the same time, it's Hawaii, but to watch Mike Wright, then AJ Swan and, and Clark Lee and everything, get that team to five wins and literally on the cusp of both eligibility, beating Florida, by the way, to me, I don't know if it's a one-off or if it's something sustainable. It appears you think it's a one-off. And I think uh, obviously your decision not bearing mine, I, ultimately I think the same thing. It's just Vanderbilt doesn't care about football. But it's something – it's not James Franklin-esque, if you will. Remember when, when they won nine wins? It's not that level, but it's still impressive. Well, I just think you look. I just think you look at the difference between when James Franklin did it. You look at the the way the East was operating at the time. It was way down. Georgia was way down. Tennessee was way down. South Carolina was way down. Florida was way down. We we're all really bad, pretty consistently. It was when Missouri kind of first joined. Missouri won. Was that was that, that was twenty six. 2012, 2013, 2014, I think, it, time, time span, kind of. Welcome, welcome to my years, um, too. But it was a time where, again, 
They had Aaron Rodgers' little brother, Jordan Rodgers. We all know him from SEC Network. They had a good, a good, moderately, sometimes played great quarterback. But it was in a day before the portal where he was there the whole time. You look at it this year, and and that's those are the teams that's going to kill Mike Wright gone. Uh, Mike Wright was a good quarterback. Now, AJ Swan is a really, I think, can be a really good quarterback. I mean, they're too. still fine. But, but I'm just when saying, you lose Mike Wright, that was a that was a that was an interesting loop. And I'm loss sure they've there. lost other people too. And it's, uh, what was it? The kid from the the tackle from Vanderbilt that went to Bama, Steen. Yeah. Like Steen was a Steen was a standout for so Vanderbilt. You just start losing those guys, and you just there's no way you can sustain at their level. You know. You lose a couple guys from Alabama, from Georgia, and we got a couple guys that can replace them. You lose a couple guys at Vanderbilt, you got some mechanical engineer to replace them. And nothing against mechanical engineers. There's a bunch of good football players, that, but I'm just saying, like, there are people that are much more worried about other things than they're worried about football. And that's just not always the truth. I mean, it, it, also shows on the, it also shows with the boosters and the alumni. Like when you look at Georgia, as I think we'll start wrapping this up, we'll kind of revert back to Georgia here. When you look at Georgia, the alumni, the boosters, they are deeply invested and have an emotional attachment to the football program, which is why you're seeing Georgia have the sustained success that we're starting to see now. People actually understanding the fruits of buying in. Right. When you buy in and, you you know, you hear these things when you get new coaches, right? You, you hear these things. Now you're starting to see Kirby recruit at a high level, always in the top five. Ultimately, you see the recruiting at a high level. You see performance on the field at a high level. You also look off the field. Right. Not not necessarily the, the best, but the charity work, the things like this right here. All these things that are tying in to the football program and really the athletics department, right? In my opinion, I think hiring Josh Brooks as a replacement for McGarity was a blessing in disguise because he also is deeply invested into the betterment of Georgia as an athletic department and academics. But from an athletic standpoint, deeply invested and cares well, about it. Well, he's invested in academics too. I mean, we just had the highest – um, GPA of any fall across the board, not just football, but like across the board for all of fall sports in like in their sport, we had the highest cumulative GPA ever this fall. So it's definitely putting some emphasis on not only creating good athletes, but good players, good people. And, and before sometimes you got lost in the fact that people thought, well, you can't have both. You can't have good people and have, good players you you have to pick one there's a balance Um, yeah and there still is i mean there still is a balance there's still a balance you know and anybody that doesn't think so just didn't tell themselves the truth there's a balance in players that we recruit to play football here there are guys we don't go after based on attitude things um but it's good to see you know i don't think you better enjoy the way Georgia football is now, Georgia athletics is right now, because, you know, I'm not saying you're in the golden years of it, but back-to-back national championships, you know, you're improving in basketball. You're about to see if you're improving in baseball. You know, you better volleyball team, you're a better soccer team. I know everybody might not care about that, but living in Athens, 
you know, being a part of athletics, like you see those things, like your swim and dive team, really good. Your men and women's tennis team, really good. Your women's equestrian team, really good. Your women's gymnastic team improving. Like, you know, you start talking about like Tennessee had three major sports ranked in the top 10. Like Georgia, that used to be Florida. Florida used to be really good at baseball, really good at basketball, really good at football. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, they were unbelievable in all three, and they were good in softball. They're really good in softball still. But like, you're starting to see this AD chip away at, you know, a sport at a time. We're just getting a little bit better each and every year at every sport. And that makes the the institution in general great. It doesn't just mean like, oh, we got good football, but we don't really got anything else. Yeah, no doubt. So obviously, we, we talked about the, you know, to kind of recap this, we talked about some of the programs, uh, some of the schools around the SEC and, and where things are standing, not not as in-depth as, you know, people might want to hear, but just from high-level hot topics, if you will. Uh, there, there's too much still to go on. Um, you still got all the, all the winter still, spring, everything like that. So, you know, there's a lot going on. Obviously, like I said, we talked about the coordinator search at Alabama all the way to, you know, the, the questionable, controversial hires, I guess you should say, with Hugh Freeze and, and uh, Petrino and, you know, just anything in between, right? Anything in between. Um, ultimately, though, let's let's wrap this up, though. Um, listen, Georgia, I'm just going to let you all know now, like, like Kobe just said, you're in one of the best spots you could be, period, right? So if you're a Georgia fan, obviously this impacts you indirectly, but all these all these other schools, Tennessee and, you know, things like that, it, it impacts us. So, we, you know, obviously we wanted to make sure that people were informed on what's going on around the SEC because these, these are the teams that we play every year, right? You kind of need to keep up with things like this. Uh, but with that being said, um, obviously thank Juan for coming on for 30 minutes uh, before he left us. I think he got back to his honeymoon or vacation, on, you know, from the North Pole, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, any any last words, Kobe, before we head out? You know, um, just getting excited working into this off season. excited to maybe dive into some NFL draft um, stuff with y'all soon. Always, always fun time with the brigade and talking with you, discussing different things and, you know, SEC, it just means more. So it's good to hear kind of what's going on around the league and football and what we kind of foresee for next year. So in the comments, first off, if, you know, there's several people in here that I don't think have liked the stream yet, which is it hurts a little bit. So make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe. That way you can keep up when we come live on the show here. Uh, listen, let us know in the comments if you want to hear something being discussed. Let us know. We read the comments. We see that. And we and we obviously want to make the show, um, you know, more appeasing to more appealing to the brigade, right, like yourselves. Uh, with that being said, we will catch you all next time. I hope everyone has a great rest of your day. And go, dogs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.